If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. Welcome back, beautiful humans. This is Erin. And it's Denisha. All right, we're super excited about tonight's topic. Uh, So we went to uh, the Supreme Court yesterday and we spent all day in D.C. uh, for Rise Up October 8th, uh, where the Supreme Court was hearing three court cases uh, about uh, Title VII and whether or not sex covers gender identity and uh, sexual orientation. And so we're about ready to talk about what all that entailed and our experience that we had uh, yesterday. And so, uh, so first, like, let's, let's check in as we always do. How are you? How are you, Denisha? You know what? I'm doing really good. Um, I could not believe today was Wednesday. I went to sessions and I was like, oh, wait, today's not Monday. Because I was really drained after yesterday and I had planned to go to work and I had to go ahead and submit a cancellation, which never um, happens. But um, I was just so tired. But other than that, I'm doing really good. This past weekend, I was able to sit down um, with a few of my fellow Black behavior analysts in Maryland. We went apple picking. That's so cool. In Maryland. All right. No, obviously yes. not Baltimore, right? Like. Well, they have a farm in Baltimore, but we actually went to um, Gaithersburg, Maryland, because they were having some heritage festival, which we never saw the festival. It was just regular apple picking. But that's the reason why we chose that one. But yeah, they have they have a few on Baltimore's side as well. That's cool. That's Mm -hmm. cool. I grew up in uh, Winchester, Virginia, where they have the Apple Blossom Festival and we celebrate the apples every year. It's like this big apple area so um yeah i know all about apple picking so good it was actually my first time yeah really Mm -hmm. all right cool never did it but i had a great time had some hard cider at the end of the day made my troubles worth it nice that's awesome yeah that's perfect but how are you how are you doing on this wednesday it is Wednesday. I had the exact same experience. I didn't realize today was the middle of the week. I don't know if it's because yesterday we were in D.C. and so it kind of felt like a weekend. But um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, exhausted is how I feel. Let's just yeah. say that. And um, didn't realize how draining. Uh, I don't know if it's a protest, a rally. How would you define that? A protest? Because that's what it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there a technical term? So before we were going, I was calling it or trying to call it nonviolent action um, or 
resistance because I wasn't really sure if it was a protest either. Um, however, there was just, there were a lot of different moving components. I guess you can just call it, in general, we can just say it was an action, but um, okay. there was some civil disobedience happen, happening. There were definitely some protests happening, counter protests happening. Um, but regardless, you know, they kind of all mold into the same pot, especially there was like the rally component where people were on the mics talking um, and telling us about who they were. So it was hard to call it, but I say it was everything. Yeah, we might. So because all of this is so new to me, we might actually need to, whether we want to do it now or do it later, is kind of define what those different things look like or what they mm -hmm. are um, just for people. And especially me too, because I'm not sure what all those are, but, um, yeah, but yeah, so let's, let's go ahead and jump into it. Cool. All right. Let's first start by talking about like what it was, what, what October 8th actually symbolized. And, um, we can talk a little bit about why we were there, but I think we should take some time to actually inform the readers about like the court cases just in case they saw a lot of people making noise, but they're like, what are they talking about? Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we, um, on our social media pages, we had shared something from the podcast pages, uh, some information, uh, but just for those of you who didn't see that, uh, October 8th. So yesterday at the Supreme court, they were hearing three different cases, um, where people were fired for uh, for being either transgender or being, uh, I think, gay in this case uh, with these particular ones, but but have a sexual orientation that was not heterosexual, and so under Title Seven, um, this prohibits employers from discriminating against employees on the basis of sex, race, color, national origin, or religion. Um, and so there was a debate and the Supreme Court was hearing testimony as to whether or not gender identity and sexual orientation fall under that category and was protected by Title VII. Did I do that justice? Yep, you did. Um, okay. So the first two cases that were being presented or that were supposed to be presented um, were uh, specifically for folks who uh, felt like they were discriminated against for being gay. So one of the cases was like um, a skydiver who um, had disclosed to someone while they were working that they were gay and then they ended up being fired. And so that's the case, uh, Donald Zarda, Zarda mm -hmm. um, versus Altitude Express. And um, he was fired because of his sexual orientation. The other one was Bostock versus uh, Clayton County, Georgia, where he filed because he had joined a softball team that was a gay league and felt like he was fired because of um, because of his sexual orientation as well. The third one is the case uh, folks might have heard about it with uh, Amy Stevens. Um, that is with a funeral home versus like EEOC, which if you all know what that is, that's Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And uh, Amy Stevenson, Stevens case is the first of its kind. This is the first trans um, gender rights case that the Supreme Court has heard ever. Um, and 
This one was specifically about Amy, who um, she worked at a funeral home and her employer, she actually worked there for many years prior to her transitioning. And she was fired after she told, she disclosed her boss that she was transgender and they used it as a religious claim saying that it was like against the Bible to, um, uh, have someone um, who was transgender or I forget the the term or the phrase that was used, but essentially she was fired because of that. And so yesterday was historic, you know, that was an historic day for sure. Yeah. And I think there's actually a really good interview of Amy Stevens out there. And she was saying that for, for quite some time she was living two separate lives and it came to a point where she kind of reached this, uh, point of no return was like I've got to um, either combine these lives or essentially stop living, which is what happens for a lot of uh, you know transgender individuals. Is I can't go on living like this anymore, so it's either one path or the other. And so she chose that she liked herself too much to, to go on stop existing. And that's I think I almost quoted her specifically from that uh, from that interview, but. Um, I think the big thing to note is that in any of these cases, their job performance did not change. They as humans did not change. It's just the information about them changed and people's perception yeah. about them changed. And, um, but I think in terms of specifically transgender, this was the first time that, that a Supreme court has heard, uh, a case involving transgender rights. And so that is, that's why this, and I think while why Amy Stevens case is so, uh, you know, predominantly in the, in the news is because it is, it's groundbreaking. Yeah. So that, that is the summation of what was happening yesterday, um, at the Supreme court and naturally, you know, if you hear about the Supreme court actually making arguments for or against, um, an entire group of folks, you know, there's some fear that happens. Um, I remember, I think it was uh, late August when I heard about this court case or um, the hearings. And initially it was just like, what the heck, right? Um, immediate, like, this is BS. Um, mm -hmm. And what is going on? And I didn't start hearing, I didn't hear about the action actually though, until you said something about it. Cause I was just waiting, like, so what are we going to do? You know, um, unfortunately there have been things that have been done, um, by the administration that folks, we can, you know, show our disdain to, but there hasn't been specific tangible things that we could do about it. And so to, it was just good, I guess, to know that, we could at least show up in some way, even though obviously, unfortunately, at the end of the day, the um, the Supreme Court justices, they make the ruling. And uh, I was talking to Chase yesterday, and we can get into that um, later, but I was, you know, I'm a cynic, unfortunately, and skeptical sometimes about <laughs> things. And, and I just, I really hope that you know, um, the justices lean to the right side of history as opposed to, you know, leading with hate or. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. We can talk about what we kind of experienced there. Um, 
because it was it was it was hard a lot of that was tough uh but i think the reason that we decided to go because it's it's a big deal you have to take off work you know it's the middle of the day there's uh traffic there's there's a lot there's a huge response effort involved Mm -hmm. in in getting to something of this nature and then um i know you have experience with with events like this or actions like this but this was you know my first one and um you know we talk a lot on the show about committed action and what are you going to do to uh, take steps to being a uh, whether it's an accomplice or a change agent or whatever whatever it is is what are those steps that you're going to take and this just seemed for me like this very natural uh opportunity to, you know, I, I lived close by, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, we both, we both kind of do close enough to get there. Um, but it's, uh, for me, it was, you know, that, that resistance piece, I don't think that I've ever truly really been a part of uh, until now. And so, um, and honestly, I don't know how comfortable I would have been, have not had like you to be able to walk me through so many things. I mean, I remember just meeting up with you there and I was like, so what is this going to look like when they do this, this, and this or something? And you said, and you just said, this is my, this might be how it looks. They might, um, uh, in terms of like civil disobedience and things. So, but I think being able to go, like being able to lean on you and ask you questions was, was really beneficial. So it's like, okay, I hope to be that for somebody down the road. Yeah. You will. Um, (laughs) you want to talk a little bit about your preparation? Like, I know that obviously, you know, when we talked about it and I had actually made a post on our page, uh, to try to get people who were going to be participating for the first time as well, um, to prepare them a little bit for little small things that they could do. I think that people might get prepared in their own ways. I know for me, um, I have to always get mentally ready because those spaces are very draining for me. Uh, You don't feel the drain. Well, yeah, sometimes you feel the drain while you're there for sure. And I felt it yesterday um, because it's so emotionally um, charged and labor intensive. Sometimes it feels like, Um, but you really, it really hits you once you leave. And I think that's always been the case for me. Like while I'm there, it feels hard, but then it feels even harder once I'm actually gone and like your body starts to kind of release everything. Um, So for me, I like, I have to get mentally ready. I have to, you know, do a little bit practicing of like mindfulness, um, (laughs) staying still, um, trying to like summon in some of my ancestral power, um, and just be prepared to stand up for what I believe is right. Um, and that's that's part of my preparation. I was telling you, Aaron, before when you were asking me things like, what should I bring? And I was like, you know what? I normally pack really light. <laughs> I don't take food. I don't ever eat the day of any action. And it is so funny because when you asked about the food thing, <laughs> I was like, what do you need food for? But I decided to pack food because you asked about it and I still didn't eat. <laughs> I'm coming from a parent of many kids and you always have snacks. Like, <laughs> it's just it, it's just natural now that I just wherever I go, there's um, you you always bring too much food. In fact, I traveled again today and I had the rest of my snacks with me on the plane. So it was great. <laughs> but um, 
<laughs> I, I like how you said you, what did you say? Your ancestors, say that again, your ancestral. Is that what I, you said? I, yeah, I try to summon some of my ancestral power. Power. Perfect. Because what I found myself doing was going back and watching uh, a documentary about the Stonewall Uprising. Mm-hmm. And like, and so I don't know if I was like, I don't know if I could call it ancestral power, but it, like I, I, when I was taking notes for this, I wrote down, I was like, um, oh, where is it? I, I, I was contacting like the history, like when, when you listen to the lawyer from the ACLU, uh, Chase Strange, you talking that he's talking about standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, and, and, um, and I was like, oh, that's there were people before us that that did this and there were the reason that we're here now and it's so kind of contacting um that and whether you call it power which is kind of cool i like that it did it felt like kind of getting amped up and you're like yes like this is this is my role i can i can do this in whatever form it takes tomorrow or whenever yeah um but but definitely it was that it was the um Compton's Corner, like there's a YouTube documentary that's on YouTube. Um, or, mm-hmm. um, com- gosh, did I say that right? I Cooper's that right. Donuts? No, it's Compton's oh. Cafeteria or something like that. Oh, in Co- San Francisco. Compton's Cafeteria, yeah. And Cooper's Donut was also yes. in, in Cali. Yeah. Yes. I get those. Yeah. I always say like Cooper's Cafeteria, but yeah, you're right. It's Compton Cafeteria and Cooper's Donut. There's yeah. lots of seeds. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, backstory, do you want, those are all uprisings, um, in the LGBTQIA movement, um, that in, those are the, like, documented as, you know, some of the first, I think that, uh, Cooper's Donuts, that cafeteria is documented to be the very first one. We often mm-hmm. talk about Stonewall, but, uh, yeah. Cooper's Donut yeah. came before it. And, and that was a uprising where people actually fought back against the police, um, mm-hmm. and it was a really big uprising. So history for you. And if you don't know what those three things are, some committed action for you would be to look it up and do some Shut reading. We're going to say it again. So we have Compton's Cafeteria, <laughs> Cooper's Donut, and Stonewall. Yeah. And we actually just celebrated the life of Matthew Shepard um, mm-hmm. a little while ago. If you follow our page, then you probably saw the um, picture that was put up on our stories um so yeah continue yeah, there and you were talking about summoning you know, your ancestral power with stonewall but it's interesting that you brought that up because that's that's what i found myself starting to do is like I, I i've never um i've kind of floated by on my uh, privilege or just kind of not used the voice that i have and so like th- this turning point now uh and and making sure i do that it's it it's so I love how you said that summoning uh but that's what it is um you know you get you get pumped up you you get ready to go um but I think you talk about it being emotionally draining I wasn't quite sure how emotionally draining it would be and so you had asked me the day before to put a video about like leading up to it and I realized like how anxious I was because I couldn't bring myself to do it like I couldn't Mm -hmm. find the words I couldn't process what I was feeling or what I was thinking um and so it was like, all right, in that moment, like right now, I think I just have to like focus on maintaining whatever I can maintain right now um, to get me to tomorrow. Because uh, it, it just it was, it was very nerve wracking. Like I wasn't sure what to expect. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you you had texted me and you were saying you were feeling a little anxious and and not knowing how it was going to go. And I will say this. I know that you were feeling anxious about a few specific things, um, especially like, you know, there are huge crowds that gather normally. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you know, there was a huge crowd, but we had a lot of space. There was a lot of spit. That was perfect. There was so as you consider, I mean, obviously that's not women's march size or like these bigger marches that you see. But as far as like a collective of people in front of the Supreme Court, I think that was a pretty good size um, group of people. But you're right; they were all kind of packed up front, and but you could step back, you could walk away if you needed to. So that was that was very very helpful. Yeah. That's a good thing. There was not a march that happened, um, which is good because right. if the march would have happened, what tends to happen are people like we get really close because you don't want the line mm-hmm. to drag back. So that might have been a little bit more, you know, intense in terms of spacing. But yeah, there were, that was that was a good. It was a large crowd, but there was enough space, and that was that was pretty cool. And I was glad that you were able to make it through the day with that type of crowd yesterday definitely definitely and there were a lot of uh there were many familiar faces so that was and when i say many i mean like a handful that's all i really you know but (laughs) it just familiar faces people that you know are are there um you know that can like somebody held my backpack it was great you know uh just like little things that you wouldn't think you know if you were there kind of going solo that would be different so yeah so what were your like general thoughts of how yesterday went? With this that was being your first action and everything. Sorry. No. It, so it was interesting when we showed up and we were kind of standing there because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I, I remember having the thought I was like, is this is this what we're going to do? Like something like this doesn't feel like something. Something has to shift. I know what I see videos or watched like live feeds there's more than just this and people were kind of standing around and chanting at first um and and i think it was just taking everything in um first of all walking up and you pointed out like verbally and said it out loud that like the the words on the supreme courthouse read um equal rights under law and we both kind of just looked at each other and we're like, hmm, that doesn't seem fitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of ironic just to stand there in front of this um, this place where they are arguing whether or not I should be and my people like me should be protected and have those same protections that other people that are standing here with me have as well. Um, or the other people on the other side that were the counter protesters, they have, um, you know, and so that was, it was a lot to take in. And I don't know if I've still fully processed all that, because here we are, like, you know, just over 24 hours after all that. I think I texted you right before the show. I was like, there's still a lot that I'm processing that um, I don't know if I have like words to communicate that yet. But, um, but it was definitely very ironic standing there and I think that was the first time it ever kind of came full circle for me that um that I really like I don't I don't have protection like I knew I didn't have certain rights like it took me a while to be able to marry somebody and that's only been what four years where like same-sex marriage Mm -hmm. has been legal 
legal or um you know any marriage of any two people is is allowed and um but to even think like that's four years you know and to put that in perspective and now four years later being here being like oh i could i could be fired you know they're they're arguing if i have protections if i you know have the same so it was just a lot to to wrap my head around um yeah yeah and then two i know we were standing on the one side and i was hearing that there were counter protesters and i didn't even realize all the pink signs over there i didn't pay attention to what they said did you recognize what it was no i saw the pink signs and i thought they were part of us at first and then i think at some point i actually like read it and then it Mm -hmm. says sex not gender and i was like i don't understand like are they and i was just really confused like what is what is that supposed to mean are they here with us and like how does that fit and i was i didn't know that those were counter protesters and i think one of the things that caught me off guard were how close they were i don't i've never been to a protest where counter protesters were actually that close like they were with our we were all together in the same space normally they're across the street like that's how i'm used to it like they're they're in their own space and they're doing their own thing you don't have to interact with them you see them you don't have to hear anything of what they're saying. Uh, women's March, like if we were in the middle of the street, they were on the sides. I've never had to come into such close proximity with counter protesters like that. And so I was I was taken aback by that. Um, and it definitely confused me initially when I saw the signs. All I saw was pink and I'm like, okay, pink. And then sex, not gender, what the? So yeah. Do you think that was by design? That they or were so close. That, yeah, or did that because they had microphones, they had amps, they had everything set up where they had their own speakers. Um, how does that usually work? Just logistics sake, are there people out there like organizing and saying, "Okay, you go over here and you go over here," or do people just go and set up in separate spaces on their own? You know what? Um, normally, so a lot of the actions that I've been used to organizing were in New York, and. Because it's New York, you have to have legal stuff taken care of. You have to, you know, there are certain places that you could protest freely, but like if other places, if you need something that's going to be on the street, like you have to make sure that your permits and stuff are in order. And uh, actually a permit might not be the right word, um, but yeah, you essentially like a permit. You have to make sure that's in order. And so maybe that's why I've never been near counter protesters because that's not going to get signed off on. Um And so I don't know how DC worked. Obviously, we were not part of the organizing team. Um, But to see that, and maybe because normally the um, type of protests in in New York that I've been part of have been like really like emotionally latent. And, you know, folks, when they start to think about like, oh, the country is pulled by two sides and it's in, you know, race relations, maybe they don't want us close for a reason because they're afraid. And so they make sure the counter protesters are over there. I'm not sure. Um, But to me, it just wasn't well. I mean, I felt like that should never never have happened. You're talking about a group of folks who are already coming in here, probably feeling really fearful, really sad, already traumatized that their rights are up for grabs and or are for discussion. And then you have to stand next to people who are literally misgendering folks on purpose, who are mm-hmm. trying to find people to talk to and tell them why they disagree with who they are. Um, you know, and that just 
that made me feel like really uh, disgusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whose whose idea was that. I don't know if DC is a place where you can just set up shop and yeah. you know they let you do whatever. And that that could definitely probably have been the case. And you know maybe there's nothing that the police could have done about it. Even though to me I feel like the police could have said go to the other side of the street. You don't mm-hmm. have to be this close. But that's just me. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That helps. I mean, we could easily find that out too. Yeah. But, um, Google search. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Committed action. I'm going to find that out. Um, but just so the pink signs, and we can explain what all that, or at least our impressions of that were. But um, so we eventually kind of migrated over there. I said, oh, I want to see what all of this is about. I want to see. Um, it was more just an observation. I wanted to see. Uh, a what who they who they were what they were saying and when we got over there it was very clear um, that they were not a part of our <laughs> um, our side so to speak um, and so that is when a lot of the like you were saying hurt and like being re-traumatized and all of that um, all of that really started to to show up um, listening to, I think the hardest part for me was listening to the younger kids get up, uh, and give speeches that were just like these severe undertones of hate for other people. Um, and that was, that was really, I think the hardest part. Cause it's like, if, if there's anything that gives me hope <laughs> about this country, it's the kids and the youth, um, and how a lot of them have just like really taken to like I, I went to pride this year um you know where i live and the amount of youth that were there and just so happy and open um was it, it gave me a lot of hope and then to mm-hmm. go there and see this it was just like crap like there is the, another side to that and it was kind of just in your face um but like you were saying there were people going around and instigating from their from their side and i don't necessarily know that we were going around and I, I don't know we can talk about behaviors we saw <laughs> specific um and and how to address that from a behavioral perspective but um you know that was really hard is to to go and to to see people who have no interest in hearing your experience but just want to tell you what they think and what they feel and that you're wrong mm-hmm. and um and i know from reading some of the transcripts and hearing some of the um you know, the, the, the videos from the reports that were happening in the courtroom is that that's what was essentially being said was some of the justices were talking about trans people, like they weren't human. And so knowing that that's, that's, that's happening, but then to see just the love and joy that came from people, um, was uh, just so many mixed emotions. I think that's what I'm trying to say is there was just so many mixed emotions about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I always love about actions, um, even though they are emotionally charging, there is community, there's joy in the resistance, for sure, and being around folks, um, and feeling their love, 
and you feel in love towards other people in that moment. Like, I think that is the beauty of protests, finding community, talking to new people and knowing that you see each other and you want the best for one another. And I definitely feel like that is um, a reinforcer for me to like, you know, keep showing up to places that take all of everything out of me at the end of the day. Yes, definitely. Like the, watching the acts of civil disobedience at the end and um i mean i got i got some good pictures from that and just seeing everybody like link arms at the end and then not do that but do like a kick line you know (laughs) and and it's funny like in the stonewall uprising documentary they were talking about how how drag queens were doing like right in front of police were doing kick lines and i was like i wonder if they know that that happened and they're kind of like paying homage to their ancestors so to speak you know as far as like i wonder if they knew that that happened and they just like replicated this all over it's not that they were engaging in a riot but um just kind of pulling history to the forefront and um whether they knew it or not that 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 happened and that was really uh really powerful thing to witness and smiles on their faces and people cheering and the chants and singing and um you said community and that that is what I overall left with was this sense of like, I feel like I just witnessed something really important. Um, Whether it makes a difference or not. um, I just witnessed something that, that changed me at least. You were part of something that changed. You were part of it. You know what I mean? I I was, yes. (laughs) Like, so there are just, there are folks who come and they engage and and I was talking to you about that. Like there are going to be people that specifically come um, and they know that they're getting arrested. They plan for that. But you're still part of that action. Like right. you still are part of that history. You're still part of the day. So uh, um, October 8th, when folks gathered in front of the Supreme Court, you're part of that history, no matter yeah. if you got arrested or not. So there was a video that I saw and it was it was a news and it was like the news headline read over a dozen people got arrested and I was like try over like a hundred because I'm pretty sure you know and but then somebody's video was on the opposite side of the street that we were on and I watched it pan and I paused it and I was like oh we're right there you and I were on this this side and I was like oh that's so cool so and I imagine that had the streets not been lined with people that were also chanting and cheering and singing um that that would not have been as powerful you know mm-hmm. so um i appreciate you saying that (laughs) no problem so let's you know let's talk a little bit about like behavioral principles because i'll say one thing aaron uh and i've said it on the podcast before like i've i've done the social justice stuff for so long and for me merging two worlds together um has been something that i'm trying to do but it's not anything that came natural so while we were at the protest, the action or whatever, Aaron, you were like, well, what's the function? And I was like, okay, Aaron, you're right. What is the function? But my mind <laughs> was not thinking about behavioral function um, during this protest. So I do want us to talk a little bit about behavioral principles that were present because Aaron, you were thinking the entire time. <laughs> well, Yes. And it's interesting because I do come from a very like observer perspective. Like I don't, I sit back and I watch a lot and 
I take a lot of videos, as you saw, mm-hmm. <laughs> commented on how much phone, like space my phone must have. Uh, but that's, I just naturally have always taken that perspective. Like, I don't think I chanted or, or cheered or anything once, but it's just like, I'm almost there like capturing. The, I, I don't know if I can't just do two things at once or if it's just, I don't know what it was, but so I'm sitting there and I'm analyzing what's happening. And I recognize there were, there were two different things happening. There were two groups of people with two different sets of beliefs engaging in like group behavior right Mm -hmm. but then on an individual level there were these interactions that were happening against the two sides and both were serving or attempting to serve let's say the same function Mm -hmm. but i really don't think they were (laughs) i don't know if you Mm -hmm. what would your analysis be um I Where think we'd have to, to define. Let's yeah, we'd have to define what those behaviors look like first of all. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. So, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the counter protesters as one group, with the protesters as another? Yes. Or okay. yeah, yeah. Let's start there. Okay. So those are the two groups engaging in group behavior. So you know that. And then we had, uh, I know there were two incidents that we could talk about today for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Let's first talk about the guy, though. Let's talk about him first. The guy and the girl that were together. Yeah. Um, so what had happened, because Denisha explained that our the two groups were right beside each other. Like, we couldn't even tell that they were two separate groups at first. But as we walked to kind of the midline, the section, you could see there was a a dividing line where the two groups met. And when we saw there was a, on the counter-protester side, um, two individuals, and they were engaging with our side. And they they were holding a banner, or they were behind a banner. And then on our side, there was a flag that was kind of blocking out the banner with two people turned around to their backs. Was that what you witnessed when you kind of walked up to mm-hmm. this whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, and the counter protesters, and I'm going to the best of my ability, not let emotion come into this and in my opinion, but just describe objectively what I saw. Um, but I saw this guy with a, v- almost like this, uh, that's my hang on. It was, was a smiling. smirk. It was a smile. A, smart, a smile. Thank you. I was about mm-hmm. ready to like <laughs> sinister look on his face. <laughs> it was it, it. If I want to talk about the feeling it gave me, it was like it was it was not not good at all. Um, oh, but there was almost like the sense of enjoyment that he was like you could tell his behavior was heavily being reinforced, and we can talk about the extinction burst that we witnessed too. Like I don't know if you saw it or if you had walked away at that point. Um, but so verbally engaging, um, the protesters. So our side, if you want to say quote unquote, our side, um, and smiling like camera up in people's faces. Um, anytime we would make like a chant or something like that, he would come back and intentionally misgender or, um, so one of the chants was trans women are women, essentially saying that we belong in the same space as um as women and that gender is self-selected and you know and but and then he would come back and say trans women are dudes and 
And so that was intentionally hurtful, intentionally with a smile on his face, yelling back um, alongside another individual who's doing the exact same thing. Um, And so because we are being threatened, you know, we, that's reinforcing for him. But then on our side, we have people that are also verbally engaging as well. And, and now these people are locked in like these individual interactions and engagements. Yeah. So that's, (laughs) that's what happened. Um, And then, so reinforcement definitely from both sides. I mean, I would imagine, um, any, any sort of interaction is going to be reinforcing mm-hmm. in some way. Right. Right. Um, so like whether it's positive or negative, cause like for the folks on our side, obviously like this aversive is present. And so want to make it go away. some of them, they want to make it go away. They want us to go over in the past, maybe for them. And, you know, obviously we don't know these people personally, but maybe in the past you can get rid of someone that's being aversive to you mm-hmm. by yelling in their face and telling them to F off. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that was happening, um, in that moment, or, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's in the past, you know, um, I don't know, maybe there were things that they wanted to say, um, to that person. So that that's what they added to the environment. I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> well, I think too, like at times, like your silence becomes, allows that behavior to continue happening in that person and that is like that that hurts you know you want to make that stop you want to escape that and sometimes we don't know how to do anything so that's where that kind of yeah counteraction that counteraction comes from you know yeah Um, when bria was here we were talking about like rage and like you know people you know we we brought in the skinner perspective and when there's a versus present like people are going to engage in behaviors to get rid of the aversive and we talked about that from like a governmental control aspect um and it it definitely could have been like a little bit of that and i think about like how when we are working with a client you know there's certain uh topographies of behavior that occur and we're you know we focus on like the function obviously so i think for folks in that space maybe who are trying to get him to go away unfortunately what's not happening is there's not a recognition that oh this is what the man wants this Mm. is probably what he wants and you know even though i want you to go away um me saying something to you is keeping you here longer possibly possibly if that's the function because like you said he had a smile on his face and it looked like he was enjoying it we don't know his yeah. um, individual motivators. Like we don't know what was underlying that. And so I feel like uh, it could like he, his behavior could be mediated by himself. Like, even if you ignored him, he probably could have sat there and been like, Oh, our men. Ha 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 ha. And like, right. that would have been enough for him to just stay there and be hateful. And, and, and to me, that's me talking as a person, obviously. And I stay all the time, like, you know, um, Nonviolence is not my goal, not not my goal too, because I practice Kenyan nonviolence as a, a philosophy with my organizing, but it's not natural for me. And and, and I want to take some time to like talk about that tonight. Like when you hear me say that, what that means, because I don't want people to take away like, oh, Denisha's going to like haul off and hit someone or anything like that. Because that's not what I mean when I say nonviolence is not my go to. When I say nonviolence is not my natural go to, it just means like we say you confront the forces of evil, not the people doing evil, right? And so 
when I see people like that, I'm just like, oh, it's really hard for me to perspective take because in that moment, I'm like, I don't understand how people could be so hateful. So I'm looking at them as that person. And yes, I do have like an overarching view on things because I always look at the system, but I'm still looking at those people like what the heck is wrong with them. And so that is what I mean when I say that I'm not naturally nonviolent because I see those people as, you know, creating suffering for other individuals. And it's really hard for me to, to be compassionate towards people like that. And that is not what Kenya nonviolence is about. They're about establishing a community and having courageous conversations with folks. And I'd be like, I'm not talking to nobody. Um, so <laughs> I just want to give some context to that. Cause you will, you know, I've said it a few times on the show already. So I just want to make sure to clear that up. And I definitely said it at the March, um, at the action yesterday too. Yeah. But to go back to what we were talking about <laughs> but, I just went on a tangent. No, no, no. That's perfect because I think that that's what happens with a lot of people is um, like they just feel like they can't that that when they come into contact with people who are being just downright hateful, that to be quiet in that moment is. I don't want to say like a sign of weakness, but it's like that doesn't come natural to them, and that by being silent in that moment, they're allowing that to to be okay and that's not always necessarily the case i completely get it but what had happened with this guy was i think everybody kind of on uh, uh, the protesters like calm down they raised the flag up to block him out mm -hmm. and so then his phone came up over top and then he's down underneath trying to instigate and so we talk about extinction bursts and when you mm -hmm. put people in extinction you stop giving them what they want then they start engaging in all this behavioral variability to get back that reinforcement that they're trying to get. And so I watched that happen with that. And then the other people that we can talk about too, that yeah. continued, there was, there was a two people that kind of went from pot of people to pot, to instigate with them. And the second, like they would get shut down from one group, they would go to another one and then they would go to the next one. And then they would go to the next one to like preach their hate, so to speak, or the, you know, yeah. um, so why don't you, do you, do you briefly describe that? Yeah, I'll describe the second one. Um, all right. So we have these two women. Um, for context, I do feel like it's necessary to give context to who they are. Um, did you, you felt like that was an important um, Definitely. description? Okay. So Definitely. we have two women from uh, England. They were, um, or Britain. They were both British, um, two lesbian women um, that were there, and they were counter-protesters on a day that we are discussing LGBTQ rights. They are there. And the lesbian piece is important because that was part of their argument. So Yes. And, um, and so I felt, yeah, that correct. I just felt like it was ironic um, that two of the cases that we're talking about actually has something to do with sexual orientation. Um, and one of the cases has something to do with um, transgender rights. And to me personally, before I get into the objective part of things, it just seems really odd uh, for people to be, you know, at like you rather not have rights because you have so much uh, to say or against a particular group that's part of your community. Um, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're hearing all of these cases together. Mm -hmm. That should say something. My caveat next. <laughs> um, so these two women were walking around um, to groups of people and they were saying, you know, whatever their issue was with transgender people. And um, there was a young boy that was, you know, 
going back and forth with them initially. Um, and, you know, they were exchanging words. And so then these people, at this point, I walked there, like, because we were right there anyway. And I felt for me that I was, I held privilege in a sense, because I was in this small area that we were in, the only straight, heterosexual, cisgender woman, like, with those two privileges. And so I felt like maybe I should step in and say something. And so what I said to this person was, we're standing here under the Supreme Court and it says equal justice under law. There are no caveats to that, period, in the sentence. <laughs> and um, and that initiated another, another conversation. So I gave this woman the attention that she was looking for from different groups. And, and she actually was mandating for information, like, you know, making requests. She wants, I don't know. Is that, do you feel like she was mandating for information? Like she wanted to know more information? No, maybe not. I had a really, so this is one of my other, I have a hard time like processing auditory stimuli. I could not hear a word she was saying. So okay. I had to like come back and talk to you all. Um, and I was hoping the camera that I, cause I was videoing it a little bit, like at least her, like trying to maybe then go back and be able to hear what she was saying. Um, but the one thing I did not hear, I did not hear her asking for any information. That doesn't mean that okay. she did. Yeah. All right. So I do take that back because I don't feel like she was manning for information. I'll get to the point where there was a man for information that, and that's the one that, you know, ticked me off. But, um, so she's saying these, this, this piece of information, she's not getting, I guess, the response that she's looking for, which is for people to come to her side of things, for, for us to listen, um, and say that we agree with what she's saying. Um, and I'll get to you to say like why I felt like that's what she was looking for. Um, we saw some increase, some behavioral variability. She kept switching her statements. Like, you know, she started in one spot and then moved to, well, let's talk about what's next, you know? And I actually don't want to repeat some of the stuff she said for yeah. our listeners. There, was... <laughs> there are like some stereo, I don't want to say stereotypical, but if you ever have an argument about sexuality or gender or anything with an LGBTQ, there's always these leaps that people will make to the next assumption that that is the next argument. And it's like, well, if we have to say that this okay, well, then, then this next thing is going to be okay. And it's just this outrageous leap that people always make. Um, and if you know anything, yeah, it's not worth repeating, but it's like, it's this outrageous and it, and it makes the people that you're talking about that you're arguing for, it makes them seem it's so, it is the most demeaning argument that you could make. And I don't know if they make that to be that hurtful or what, but it's like when that came out, I was like, I'm done. Like, there's no, I know at that point, there's no, mm -hmm. right, there's no conversation you're going to be able to have. So I had that same thought process, like, and at this point, I actually didn't say anything past that there are no caveats. She stood there, she was talking for the entire time. And, you know, Kristen um, said mm -hmm. a few things as well. And I'm just standing there um, at this point. Then the other woman who was um, also a woman of color, but um, she's not, she's not a black uh, person um, outwardly. I'm not sure where she's from, but um, she turns to me in particular and I felt like this was obviously intentional because this whole time we're having conversations, they're speaking about the community, but never once, Aaron, and correct me if I'm wrong, did they turn to you specifically and say, you, blah, 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 you, this. Well, this person turns to me and says, 
well then can they be and like so I'll, I'll say it on the show I don't know if I need to but like I was the only person of color in our group. I was the only black person. And so this person intentionally sought that out, I felt like, and literally was like, hey, you black girl, then mm-hmm. if you believe in transgender rights, can they, the people you're with, can they be black? And I mean, I initially was like, are you kidding me? Are you? Right. I was so... I was offended because as another person of color, like you already know what's up Mm -hmm. and you did that intentionally. And I felt like, what was that about? You didn't feel the need to like single-handedly point to anyone else in this group, but you Mm -hmm. did that to me. Um, And so, and just like them being a person of color and knowing what that's like, and obviously they're from Britain, so maybe they uh, they don't know what that's like, but being a person up in this country, there are a lot of black and brown kids who, you know, grow up with internal hatred for their own skin and, you know, obviously us not having the same rights. And for you to say something like that um, just was, it was demeaning. And it, it was like, you tried that on purpose. And, and and at that moment, I felt like you, obviously, my, my humanity was less seen, right? Because you felt like you could, you could bring that amount of uh, intensive, like, labor on me in that moment. So I initially was like, obviously reacted. And I was like, wow, you know, I am done. Like at first I was like, I am so offended that you as a person of color, but then eventually I was like, uh, with that view, uh, you don't feel safe with that view. Um, because your safety is contingent on passing. Um, and you don't have an innate, you don't have an, an a feeling of enough self-worth just by being you to feel like, you have a right to be free from abuse or to have healthy relationships, to have unconditional love in your life, because everything being set up is to um, to put those conditions in to, to make it that your value is contingent on living up to this very subjective view of what normal is. So the antidote for that, uh, and one of the things that I would love to see the ABA world do is develop real relationships with the adult community, with the advocacy community, and engaging us in listening to us to help make that outreach to parents as well so they have a better understanding of the actual implications of what they're asking for when they're coming to you and saying that, I want my three-year-old to just listen and do what I say. Um, I want my kid to look normal so he's not stigmatized. Um, subject, you know, stigmatized is one of those incredibly subjective terms that we like to use to justify, just FYI. Um, like, let's more knowledge of the autistic experience is what helps in those conversations lead you the right way. Um, yeah, and so ABA, AB, it seems like ABA likes to pretend things happen in isolation. Nothing happens in isolation. So the messages Jeff is talking about, like- Except I, the last I, six months. <laughs> and, and I don't know if the difference is um, what the problem is. So for me, it's uh, that uh, autistic individuals were dehumanized 
um, in my training and uh, emotions were removed. So that combination um, trained me to not care. Uh, I mean, I, wanna, I don't want to say not care, just it's, it wasn't pertinent. Um, but these messages are being sent regardless if that child is speaking or not speaking um, vocally. Uh, and so I really think um, what we need to do is work primarily with the parents, teachers of um, that child and, and work on their own um, context. So for example, a, uh, a parent who's had a disability, she was bullied a lot in school, has a lot of anxiety and uncomfortable feelings with her uh, daughter having, you know, kind of especially starting school and the, the thing is with her own context her context is leading her to react or want those behaviors to disappear or whatever it may be but because it's like internalized ableism yeah well i mean in that and it's like everything so like or for example um uh being af afraid of being judged as a bad parent in public if your child is doing whatever that is. that's our own as parents discomfort and wanting that to to stop and to to and then, of course, the other context sometimes of, of um, hopes for the future of your child. You want your child to have an easy life. And, well, we say that and then we're like, but we also want them to have challenges. <laughs> um, but it, it's a, I think we need to address um, the, the context and training uh, for the parents. And um, that's when we're able to, like Jeff is saying, those kind of ma that training masking and giving all those internal messages that um, happen when we when we teach these kids they do nothing we're not just teaching them do this in isolation we are sending those messages through you know we can call it you know relational framing if we say this is good then that means the other one's opposite and it it, it really all comes together and aba likes to you know talk about act and oh we'll teach parents how to sit with their uncomfortable feelings while we train them to plan to ignore like that's completely wrong we should be using act to help parents sit with their uncomfortable feelings of wanting to have their kids look normal or, or neurotypical, I'm sorry, uh, or uh, wanting their kids to um, live a certain life. And that's where I believe really ABA could be great with a wraparound service uh, with uh, family counseling to really delve deep into those contextual histories. I think it's horrible that we don't take into account like a family's history especially trauma histories because trauma is often generational and and uh things like emotional neglect and emotional abuse which is uh what a uh, planned ignoring tends to be um those are uh chronic stressors so chronic toxic stress which builds into um a trauma event and trauma triggers and those kind of things so I really think the focus should be on the family as a whole, uh, not the individual child. Tanisha talks about that all the time. Like you're back, if you want to, I mean, if you want to reiterate, reiterate that and collaboration and your background in mental health and stuff, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, you know, I, um, we did a show and I was talking about how, you know, in, in mental health, we have the, the systems approach and, you know, it's a, it's a family thing. There's no identified patient. It's the entire family together. And then, you know, being able to work with uh, everyone. Um, and I think for me too, I still struggle with um, when we're thinking about um, ABA and what's the alternative being from the mental health background, I still struggle to say that that would be 
the alternative too to ABA. Honestly, um, we have our stuff over there as well. Um, we have a, a terrible history um, with many different groups. If you aren't white and male, then you know you don't really find your place in mental health uh, either. But I, I definitely think that the systems approach, at least, is just a good another way for us to um, to be able to look at that. Yeah, and so I'm actually starting this fall uh, at uh, college again to go to get my mental health counseling degree um, because, and again, talking about trauma is, uh, I think Jeff maybe told me this saying of like, we don't know autism, we only know autism and trauma. And there's so much trauma in this community and they they need um, people who are able to like work with this trauma, even though they might have communication differences. Um, but everything we do in ABA, like uh, we could we could do with the parents, like when I do um, perspective taking. So um, being able to like, if, if you work with an OT, get some sensory profiles, you know, be able to really understand um, the sensory perspective of the child and then have the parent in those situations take the perspective of the child, understanding their sensory differences and all that that comes with being autistic and, and really work hard on perspective taking. Um, but instead we tend to focus on the kids because, you know, autistics apparently can't take perspective. <laughs> I wonder how much of that too comes back to the money conversation that we were having. It's like, if I'm to go in and to say, and to not give like parents, like context. Yes. Like, you know, I, I've, I've used to work in home for years and um, parents are exhausted. Like they don't have environments, you know, they're shunned from the community. They don't have access to resources to, to care for their kids. Um, and, and yeah, of course I want my kid to follow their social justice issues. Um, <laughs> and, right. and you treat them as the, the solution to those is fix your autistic kid. Um, and, and that's another place that the activist advocacy, autistic community, the neurodiversity affirming allies, this is another role that we play as well is let's target accommodations in society without just bringing this down in the head of of the autistic child of it is your problem that mom gets looked you know mom gets viewed as a bad parent bringing you in a grocery store um that's that that's some of the that's some of the stuff that's that's really and and, and you know i was that kid um and, you know, talking about trauma, like one of the things I will personally share is by the time I was six years old, I could no longer honestly answer the question about what do you want to do when you grow up? Because I was sure I'd kill myself uh, before I become an adult. I never once at any point in my childhood ever thought I would see the age that I am now because um, I felt all of that failure from one of the earliest ages I can remember of, I am a broken person, I am a burden, I am ruining everybody's life. And there's no, uh, there, that's a non-viable position to put people in. Um, and it's not viable for our parents either. Um, but right now we have this society that makes it the kid's fault. and. You know, that's a kind of a perfect segue into talking about medical versus social model of disability when we get there. I, I wanted to, um, I definitely think that's a good um, 
intro, I want to say first, I hear you and, um, you know, I'm responding in the moment emotionally to that. Um, and I also wanted to say that I, I really want to thank you both for, you know, being here and having this conversation with us. Uh, when we when we planned to do the show, we were planning on one show. However, you know, after talking to you tonight, it, it looks like, you know, this needs to be a, a two-parter. And I think that, you know, if you all are, are okay for it, that we could take this into a double episode. Um, and in the next episode that we do, we could talk about the medical and the neurodiversity model, the medical model, the social model, talk about what is neurodiversity, because uh, Jeff, you just brought that up. And for our listeners who may not know. Or you may think, you know, um, yeah, let's do, let's do two. Real fast. I want to like acknowledge to Jeff what you just said. And seriously, like for any um, person working in behavior analysis, if you happen to like be brave and make it this far in the episode, <laughs> um, seriously, like the next time that you come into contact with that, that comment that's frustrating or that person from that from the autistic community that that is just outraged with with behavior analysis like seriously think think about what jeff just said and like for me it helps to like put a a face you know like there's there's a story behind that you might not know that person's story um and you don't have the right you don't have their consent to know their you know their story but um think about that the next time and and see the pain that's coming through when you all you're seeing is anger and hate coming from their statement like there's pain there can be pain behind that there's fear there's all of those things um and and how can you not listen to it when you can for me at least when you when you hear it that way when you when you when it has that context behind it not just somebody's pissed sitting behind a keyboard and wants to take down your company because that's not what it is yeah and and that kind of comes back to like if if ABA was just kind of not doing you know uh, what autistics wanted uh, autistic individuals wanted and whatever but we are causing trauma. We we are hurting people, um, and the long term hurting them. Um, so we know that um, those sensory differences are more more prone to to having uh, tr- uh, chronic stress or toxic stress become trauma. Um, mm-hmm. We know that um, autistic individuals um, are uh, about ninety percent have sensory processing differences, um, and so things like habituation and desensitization um, are probably traumatizing the child and just keep, keeping that chronic stress. So when we talk about trauma, it's it's a brain thing, right? So- um, What's the, the difference between immersion therapy and torture if you're not in control of when you can nope out of the immersion, immersion therapy? What's the difference? Continue, I just- I think, I think the silence is, I th- no, I think the silence is the answer. There's like- but uh, so brain science has come so far. I remember when I was in grad school, we uh, read a study that was something about brain scans. I can't remember what it was, but I do remember there's a test question on it and it said, what can we take from this study? And it was that we can't, that brain science isn't reliable enough that it's just a bunch of pretty colors on the scans. That, that, was, that was it. Um, but brain science is, is here and it's, we're learning so much and we've learned so much about trauma and how the, the, the systems like the, the amygdala is at that fear center and how a lot of these behaviors we're seeing are, are actually triggered behaviors that are beyond the logical control of the person, the child. And we know that when a, a system has been triggered that often, 
um, that you're more sensitive to picking up new trauma. So the example I've read um, in, in the book I love about trauma is um, if you live in the forest with a bear, and so you get better at seeing the signs of the bear, um, the faster that fear response is triggered, the next time, uh, the more likely you are to survive. So the faster you're triggered the, and the more generalized stimuli, you know, oh, that might be a bear, that might be a bear, that might be a bear. Those all become generalized triggers and, and it becomes stronger. Um, and that's what we're doing <laughs> when we're seeing these behaviors get worse and worse. Um, and a lot of things that I see um, with regards to trauma and being triggered or having that fear response kick in is it takes your prefrontal cortex um, offline or decreases it significantly. And prefrontal cortex is where the emotional regulation comes. That's where your language comes. So when a child is having a big behavior um, and we're saying use your words or force prompting them to hand over hand something, we're literally, we're asking them to do something they, they probably cannot do. And planned ignoring, telling them, you know, we're gonna ignore you until you calm down. You're, you're asking them again to emotionally regulate when that system's offline. And so the, the, how little we understand about uh, uh, behaviors that are not uh, top down or logically controlled um, is a problem also. Like we, we are behaviorists, we know behavior and yet we aren't trained on those, those trauma, which is um, react, reflexive, reactive, I'm not sure if I'm using the right words, or emotions and feelings and history and all of those influence how we take in stimuli. And I think I've said this before, your, your contextual history and trauma, all that uh, can change the stimuli from moment to moment. And so being able to understand that is essential to being able to provide services that are not harmful and not causing trauma. Thank you. Um, so with all of that said, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode and close this one out and say thank you for tuning in to beautiful humans we'll see you on the next episode which we're gonna go record right now hey it's denisha and aaron i just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard yeah you know uh we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a uh, pretty easy podcast so pretty easy podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal record from your home or your office or at the park Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Keep it simple. <laughs> That's me. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you for committing to being beautiful humans with us. We'll see you next time. Hey.
Hey, it's Denisha. And Erin. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a Pretty Easy Podcast. So Pretty Easy Podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm-hmm.